Yo, what's good, everyone? Um, it's another episode of Real Sankar Hours. Real Sankar Hours, your favorite black Marxist, leftist, radical political podcast. We're, we talk about politics, current affairs, um, other stuff from a black left perspective, um, commentary, punditry, all that good stuff, interviews. Um, yeah, it's uh, November 19th slash 20th, this, because this is a bi-postal co- podcast. Um we're going to be talking mostly about Obama because Barack Hussein Obama uh, has a new memoir and he had an interview with um, in the former Atlantic is- with former Israeli prison guard Jeffrey Goldberg. Oh, we should probably introduce ourselves. Yeah. To- um, anyway, yeah. So that's going to be the episode. Uh, my name's Adam Hudson. Follow me at Adam Hudson five on Twitter. Uh, this is Peter M. Gunn. Follow me at M. Gunn Peter. And yeah, I mean, before we get into all that, you know, it's just a normal day and the normal weekend, the plague colony that is the United States of America, mm-hmm. where uh, COVID cases seem to be spiking all across the country. And I mean, I, where I live is as bad as it's ever been. It's like, it, this is the nightmare scenario that like we were supposed to like flatten the curve on or whatever. Mm-hmm. And instead we just dicked around for eight months. And so here we are. And yeah. so it's very depressing. Yeah. And uh, before I forget, follow us at Sankara hours yeah. on Twitter, follow us at Sankara hours on Twitter. And also we have bonus episodes for patrons. $5 a month gets you bonus content, bonus interviews, readings, um, interviews, things of that nature. Five dollars a month. Patreon.com slash real car hours. Again, patreon.com slash real song car hours. And yeah, uh here in California, Governor Newsom just announced a new another round of like a month long curfew. So basically Did, was would he have been breaking curfew going to that stupid, extremely expensive restaurant he went to? I don't know. Probably. I don't know. I mean, and I want to. I want to bring this up before I forget because there was this article that came out. I'm not going to dive too too into it, but I'll leave it in the show notes. Um, this article came out last October, uh, last month in October. The headline is: Eight million have slipped into poverty since May as federal aid has dried up. Um, the uh, first two paragraphs. I'll just read those. It says. Uh, after an ambitious expansion of the safety net in the spring saved millions of, from poverty, the aid is now largely exhausted and poverty has poverty has returned to levels higher than before the corona before the coronavirus crisis. Two new studies found the number of poor people has grown by eight million again eight million since May, according to researchers at Columbia University. After falling by four million at the pandemic start as a result of a $2 trillion emergency package known as the CARES Act. So, yeah, so we're going, cases are spiking. There's another round of lockdown in California. And, but no national lockdown. Uh, Biden has been very clear that he won't do a national lockdown. And since we know that viruses respect state boundaries, that should be fine. Yeah. Um, And the, the thing is, is like, We've been going through this pandemic for fucking eight months. Um, 
I mean, in some cases, I think if, if you track when COVID, the first COVID-19 cases first were found, I think we've probably been this like for a year at this point. Um, the federal government in the United States has not given the masses of people in the United States enough aid to basically like if we're going to go through these lockdowns then you need to, you just need to pay people to stay at home so that people don't slip into poverty but that's not what happened because this is america and america's a business yeah. and yeah. you know we have to please the market gods and not care about public health because the market gods will get angry if you give, start giving people yeah. money to take care of poverty so eight million people have slipped into poverty because we just have to worship that line, like, boo, line goes line. up, market gods yeah. are pleased, and, uh, you know, millions of people suffer, um, pe- people die of COVID, and people slip into poverty, and there's no relief for masses of people. But most of the relief went to Wall Street in the form of slush funds and corporate America, so they're fine. Yeah, but they've, like, already burned through that $2 trillion, I mean... Cool. So you, oh, economy, God. That's fucking amazing. Trillions of dollars. You got, like, uh, you gotta love it. Like, oh, well, no, we're already fucked again. I mean, we need like, more we, money, man. Can you give more money yeah. to Wall Street? Yeah, I mean, we are in the worst economy since the Great Depression. Um, and that's the thing. I mean, that's the stupid part about it is that, like, by doing, by dicking around and doing about it, going about it the dumb way, like, you end up fucking over the economy and killing a lot of people. Yeah. And so the idea that it's like one or the other, I mean, <laughs> you end up getting neither, um, yeah. you know, burden hand or something. I don't know which phrase, but um, it's yeah. So they're just yeah. I just I'm so sick of seeing all these stay the course fucking signs that are popping up everywhere. It's like stay the course to what? Like I already fucking lost my <laughs> fucking dad to this bullshit. Like, like what, what more course is there to be stayed? Like, like there's nothing like, like stay the course into entire oblivion until everyone dies. Like until some, uh, a vaccine comes out until, that... until, until Pfizer knows how to, until, right. until, until the next quarter. Cause so, so cause they want to hit like the beginning of the right quarter. Right. So, right. So and here's the quarterly a... reports are best. And, and before like. I'm going to say something like might get pegged me as like anti-vax, but like, you know, I'm not going to automatically trust the word of pharmaceutical companies like Pfizer who are saying that this vaccine is like 90 to 95 percent effective. I mean, I've heard like some doctors say that like, okay, yeah, like this vaccine seems pretty effective, but like, we know, like, I think they're kind of like... I don't know if they're being fully honest with people. Like it probably is, but like, what about other side well, effects? We don't. Also, I I don't feel like the medical standards for something like a vaccine is like ninety five percent. You can't like immunize yeah. a million people with the understanding that like uh, fifty thousand of them, you know, will still probably get polio. <laughs> like right, right, exactly, yeah. Because that's the thing that I don't c has been answered and also there's a question of how do you okay let's say let's say theoretically let's say like let's just pretend by january we actually do get a vaccine and it's effective and it's legit and it's you know cross all the t's dot all the i's like it's safe to use and there's side effects but the side effects are not debilitating so let's just assume that let's say that happens in january or february 
Um, the next thing is like, okay, how are you going to distribute that vaccine to the entire fucking globe? Who's going to get it first? Like, are the people who rich people, right? So, like, is, yeah, the people who are I, most at risk of dying, especially like black people, indigenous people, Latinos in the United States, and also like people who are living in in, in countries whose economies are fucked by a global neoliberal order. Like, are they going to get direct access to a vaccine like this? Especially, like, you know, when some of their populations are probably the most at risk of catching COVID. Well, well in, in in those places, they'll make you do it, like, with the sterilization shots. Uh, right. That's that's how they'll get... So, Bill Gates will be stuff. delivering those sterilizations. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, yes. Like, like it's not totally Q-person to be, like, the Gates Foundation is, like, tied up in all of this. Like, that's not a... That's not a conspiracy. It's you can you can figure that one out. Uh, it's amazing. It's it's really amazing. Like I really think this has to go down in the like the annals of of the history of human civilization of how the United States of America completely fucked up its response to COVID. Yeah, it is. I, it's amazing. Like this is like the the, 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 the <laughs> this this global fucking empire. That was, by the way, founded on slavery and genocide, but people like to forget forget that. Probably the world's, the richest country known to mankind, with all the resources it has, usually those resources ill-gotten by, you know, a, a, a fucked up imperial order that, again, was founded by slavery and genocide. Like, despite all, like, you have all these resources, and you can't take care of the masses of its its own people when there's a public health crisis that just has to go down as like yeah wow that's i wonder how they did that like that's you know that 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 is that is yeah there's there's something of it being a i don't know sometimes i feel like this might be a turning point in american history because it's such a colossal self-owned though i guess to be fair like a lot of the western world has been doing pretty terribly uh, yeah, for, Britain. Britain. Yeah, doesn't look so hot either. Uh, so. Yeah, any any place where you, like you also don't have, imperialist too. British yeah, also imperialist. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's not yeah ped- pedophile island. Yeah, um, but basically any place where you don't like have the structure of a command economy that can step in at you know when needed, like uh, maybe a socialist state or at least a state run by a communist party. Uh, it basically seems that it is just like, well, it's only so much we can do, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's not, we can't sacrifice the economy. I mean, I don't know. Market we are sacrificing gods. the economy, but I... Market gods. I wonder how, you know, whenever this, I mean, it, I don't even know if it'll ever really end because, like, herd Im- it's like, you can get it again. So, like, the concept of herd immunity seems to be out the window, I mean, the va- from what I understand, like, the vaccine that they're talking about, like, has to be transported, like, negative 60 degrees Celsius or something like that. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and it's, like, they're, yeah, they're, and then, like, the virus can mutate. And so, there's, right. n- like, like, when people were trying to be, like, no, you gotta get out in front of this, whatever man it's just a virus like like the virus can't vote you know virus virus isn't gonna run attack ads against me or something um and so you know it was not it was not in anyone's immediate 
uh, short-term interest to do anything about it except, uh, I don't know, the president, but, you know. Mm. <laughs> um, well, he's, you know, Trump right now, he ate shit yeah. in the election. He's depressed, and he's whining like a little baby and playing with his little dick. Like, that's, you know, he's just... Yeah. He's I, just, yeah. I'm just saying that it's like, normally at least the president can pretend to be like, well, I, you know, this falls on me, but he can't think... They put someone in there who can't think that far ahead. Right. And so they, and so they just, he just remembers the last thing that he's being told. And so the people who have his ear don't have an interest in like, like it's not in everyone. Like this is the thing about capitalism, guys, is the spirit of competition makes cooperation hard. So getting everyone involved and on the same plan yeah. is much harder. And Mm -hmm. I like the thing that bothers me is that it turns, you know, now it turns into culture war shit about like wearing a mask, you know, not wearing a mask and like, yeah, wear the fucking mask, dude. But also it's wearing a mask sucks. Let's not pretend like it's some sort of arbiter of virtue or it's like a thing anyone wants to do. It sucks, but you have to do it. You know, that's just the way it is. But I, you know, like I think Cuomo was comparing it to like a weight problem and it's like what i think no he said like you know if you eat the cheesecake you get the weight problem and so they like well you guys wouldn't wear the mask so now we have to shut down everything and it's like what that yeah with like no like people got <laughs> okay I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so fucking pissed right now i gotta let this out oh, <laughs> like okay on an individual level yeah people should wear a mask and like on an individual level when people don't wear masks, like, dude, come on, this it's annoying. Come, please just wear a mask, just, just, just f- so we can all get through this. But if you're someone like fucking Cuomo, who's the governor of New York, like people like him are, are in positions to pass policies to make this thing better. Because that's the thing, mm-hmm. like this this pandemic, like we don't know how long it'll last, but there are people in positions of power who can pass policy and b- move the machinery of government to manage a public health crisis so that people's lives are have some sense of normalcy and people like cuomo hasn't done shit neither has trump and you know most of the governors i mean newsom's you know okay but he's not great but it's like for someone like him to be like treat this pandemic that's killing millions of fucking people with no help from the government and no fucking help from congress like fuck off God, yeah. these fucking assholes, these fucking rotten pieces of shit. Fuck off. Yeah, I mean, it's like we really are on our own, and it's just like, well, things are probably going to have to shut because down. I mean, like, this government doesn't give a fuck about the people. That's but, the problem. Yeah. Like, I mean, no. th- th- we talk all this shit about, like, you know, America's a democracy and we care about the people. Nobody in government gives a fuck about the people. No one. I'm sorry. No, I'm, I don't, I don't trust any of those people. Not even, like... Okay, I'm I'm probably gonna say something that like you know might piss off some lefties. Like I'm not even like that like uh super giddy about the squad. I mean, yeah, they're marginally <laughs> better than most people in Congress, but like you know, I'm not gonna hold my hopes that the squad are gonna be like the vanguard of getting us out of this crisis. Yeah. So like you know, people, I think just think people should get their head out of the sand. Like nobody, nobody. You just have to accept the reality that it, that if you're in America, nobody in government gives a flying fuck about you. So you just have to re- recognize that reality and yeah. then organize on that basis 
to or, or get like, a lot of money to contribute to their campaigns that that's how they get that's how you get them to care yeah and they'll probably also um, wipe their ass with it too yeah so yeah it's i yeah it's this just shit this shit bleak. just pisses yeah just talking it's just this shit just pisses it's, me off <laughs> it's very bleak um and i yeah it's like stay the course guys to what to what Right, like, like what is, stay what, the, what, what, like what, the ship's going off. The ship's like going off of the edge, like oh, stay the course, like off the fucking cliff. Right, like there's just this, this is no fucking like quote unquote leadership in any of the three branches of this government of this government in the United States. There's like none. Like Pelosi is just like. I don't know what uh, the hell she's doing or why she's even there in the first place. Uh, she, I mean, I'm sure once she's done being speaker or whatever, you'll will realize how much graft she was running. Right. And then someone like Schumer is but. just like, wow, he's even more pathetic. And and the Democrats, like, you know, they brag about, like, you know, thanking black voters for winning. It's like, well, what are you going to do? Like, do they have a plan for like how much like aid they're going to give to people especially no, the no they they murk the one candidate who is going to like improve people's lives right. and then they ran someone whose brain is half jelly you know on I a mean, good that, day th- th- the republicans are like some of the most evil gargoyles on the fucking planet but at least they're very clear about their vision which is like they want they they want a worse world to benefit themselves they're at least upfront about that vision to people and they're very clear about it the democrats are just like they say all this stuff about protecting the people but when they have the opportunity to 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 do something like for example um putting up an actual fucking fight to make sure amy coney barrett does not become the next nominee to replace um ruth bader ginsburg they put a very little fight and now barrett is on probably one of the most least qualified justices in the history of the supreme court she is now like a justice in the highest court of the land um trump got his nominee so yeah trump lost the election but the conservatives got what they want which is a conservative majority for the rest of our lives for of, of the yeah. foreseeable future and what the democrats do they didn't do shit when they had the power to do what they could to at least do something to help people get through this crisis what did they do they did jack shit they were like yeah emperor, they were yeah. like emperor nero fiddling while rome is burning yeah America's i mean burning Pelosi's by a virus excuses. and all these excuses from people like yeah. pelosi and the democrats they can shove those excuses up their fucking ass i do not give two flying fucks about those people god i'm just it's yeah. it's the, the the level of just like malfeasance is astonishing and the sad thing is like millions of people have had to suffer and it's their fucking yeah. fault and the republicans and trump all of them all of them are fucking blame i'm not i'm taking no prisoners on that shit fuck them yeah yeah i agree i mean the excuse about um oh well we'll get them on the second pack second bill like there was you knew there was she knew there wasn't going to be a bill beyond beyond the cares act Everyone knew that they had the one chance to like when, you know, they could actually have leverage. They didn't use it for anything real. And now like state state and local budgets are, you know, really hurting. And like lots of places are in dire straits, like the, the economy is bad and there's no help coming from the federal government. 
you know, at the very least until the inaugural until the inauguration, and then probably they're just going to do more, you know, play fighting on CNN. Um, and the uh, the Democratic voter base is conditioned enough to just believe that that is like a true, you know, summation of how DC functions is all the, you know, well, Mitch McConnell just, you, you know, battle it like this fucking, the fucking desiccated turtle. husk of a turtle. Who can't, e- who can't even, like... Also, he's a descendant of in- slave owners, by the oh, way. Let's not oh, fucking course. forget oh. that. He's a descendant oh, of, of fucking slave owners. Oh, of course he is. Um, so yeah, is Tom so. Cotton, apparently. Um, of, cor- of course, a name like <laughs> Cotton. I mean, that's very, pr- that's very, pr- that's very poetic, yes. isn't it? Who would, yeah. who, would have, who would have thought? But the idea that he, he's just, like, single-handedly always, you know, holding the entire will of the country at bay. And they believe all this shit. And they're going to, um, they're going to continue to believe all of it. Hopefully some of them, like, will, you know, the actual reality will set in. But, you know, America doesn't like dealing with reality. It likes dealing with what's on TV. So, yeah. it, you know, speaking of someone who's completely, uh, <laughs> divorced from reality, I'm just trying to figure out how to do that transition. That's a good transition. Let's go from there. Um, 44, <laughs> Barry O. Um, Barack Hussein Obama came out it's a, with a... It's okay to ride that dick just as long as it's Barack. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Dick riding Obama. Obama. <laughs> Remember that? Um, sorry. The, uh... There the is an episode. Yes, I was just gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, there's an episode where like it was uh Oh man. It'll be really funny, Peter, if you found the audio for that and put that in here. That'd be really funny. Uh, I'll I'll see what I can do. Okay. <laughs> um yeah. So Obama, Obungler, the you know, the the dad of liberal America. Like he is he is not just the dad of the Democrats, like he is white people's ultimate like black friend perfect yes like and he and and they all believe that he is their friend right it's it's like they're white liberals like look i i just love black people so much like i would vote for obama a hundredth time because i love black people so much what what did did obama do for black people well um he's just he's just he's just him okay he's just him he's just so obama and and then (sighs) michelle and then you know and it's just they they just love it. They just love the o- Obama magic. But uh I don't know how well the Obama magic and mania has has really aged. Like yeah. coming back to this interview, it's like he's playing the hits, you know. He spent the past 4 years um basically being on David Geffen's yacht where you know, there are international waters. You can look up the stuff that's been said about David Geffen's yacht, mm-hmm. but um, I, w- I b- before uh, I, I want to uh, like peg this to because this is I, I, this is important. I want to because this will definitely tie into Obama and his legacy. And one one of my main criticisms of, of him is is um, the targeted killing program and how he like exponentially expanded the institutionalization of the targeted killing program to basically give the executive branch and the president this unchecked power to essentially kill anyone 
they deem to be a terrorist anywhere around the globe, which is like, this is something that's like extrajudicial beyond like the normal confines of a conventional battlefield. So that was... It's, re- a, it's really cop shit is what it is. It's, it's like, it's incredibly dark and gruesome and pretty hideous. So it was just recently announced, um, uh, Trump, um, said that he's uh, preparing to withdraw his troops from Afghanistan, Iraq, and Somalia. So I think this is sort of like Trump's whatever, like, last-ditch Hail Mary to um, make good on the promises he made to his chud base. Of, like, um, the world wow. is going to end the wars. And, like, you know, people like wow. Michael Tracy wow. are just yeah. like, yeah, actually, like, Trump is anti-interventionist. And, like, he's actually not a racist. You know, I just so- have to remind me about Michael Tracy. I... I had gone like four days forgetting <laughs> he existed. It, it, I'm I'm working on a story. Uh, just sort of heads up. I'm working on a story about um, Trump's uh, the drone strikes under his presidency, and I, I hate to bring up that guy's name, but you know, there I think there's been a lot of like some chatter on certain segments of the, of the left that Trump is this anti-interventionist president when. Uh, yeah he didn't expand new wars like obama did but he still continued where obama left off when it came to drone strikes so he so so some people i think are also what was bolivia (laughs) right and also the fact that it didn't succeed is not it's beside the point that he was still signed off on it right right well the thing is i think like some of those people probably wouldn't consider that like a war in a sense of like um bombing libya or like invading afghanistan or iraq but yeah like that was still like a coup instigated by the u.s government under trump's watch um and but so so some people i think have been reading the headline of the story that like oh yeah like trump is uh you know trying to end the wars but the devil's really in the details and this is going to tie exactly to obama's legacy so this is from the new york times the headline is trump is said to be preparing to withdraw troops from afghanistan iraq and somalia um so there are two paragraphs here that are really important it says and this is is, again it's the devil's in the details right here in these two paragraphs um it says the plan under discussion to pull out of somalia is said to not apply to U.S. forces stationed in nearby Kenya and Djibouti, where American drones that carry out airstrikes in Somalia are based, according to officials familiar with the familiar with the internal deliberations who spoke on the condition of anonymity. That's another thing about like NatSec reporting is that like when reporters have to get details on the, on the certain th- certain things, they have to speak to certain officials in the in the the, the sort of NatSec bureaucracy. bureaucracy who can reveal this vital information, but only on the, on the condition of uh, anonymity. So that's why that's it's, there. So, yeah. and, and then sometimes like anonymity is used to like leak like shit that isn't true and justify invasion. So there's that. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Uh, Any, anytime a, an anonymous U.S. government official is cited, that's usually a good sign. Right. Uh, By the way, what are we doing wait, in Somalia? So, he, so here's the next paragraph and I'll explain. Um, okay. c- keeping those air bases would, main, would mean 
Retaining the military's ability to use drones to attack militants with the Shabaab, the Qaeda-linked terrorist group, at least those deemed to pose a threat to American interests. The smaller a number of troops that would remain in Iraq and Afghanistan would also be sufficient to maintain some ability to carry out counterterrorism raids and strikes, officials said. The Afghanistan and Iraq troop decisions were reported earlier by CNN. So here's the thing. Is, this is the answer to your question, Peter, and, and to clarify things like that. So the reason why the United States has been drone striking Somalia is that is there is a militant group called Al Shabaab, which means the youth in Arabic. But they're, right. But that... they're they're not. They said in this article they say mm-hmm. they're Al Qaeda linked. The the links between Al Shabaab and Al Qaeda are superficial at best. Al Shabaab, like largely, they came out in response as a result of. Total collapse of the small. Pretty much, yeah, and and some of that had to do with, and you know, honestly, like I don't want to go too into it because I think the history is a lot more complex. But to just give like a reader's digest, this the Shabab emerged as like this is Islamic militant group to maintain order from the collapse of Somalia, especially after, like, kind of the fallout of, like, Black Hawk down in the 90s. And also, like, the fighting of between different warlords and factions in Somalia. Like, Shabab kind of emerged to... to, They kind of emerged in response to that, but then also what happened is that Ethiopia invaded Somalia in the late 2000s, and that was with support from the Bush administration. This doesn't get talked about enough. But also, Shabab were like kind of the fighters to fight against that. There's a whole complex history, but that that's pretty much their genesis, essentially. Um, but Shabab's fight has usually been like mostly a Somalia one, but because like they have a, I guess you could say like similar interpretation of islam as al-qaeda there's like a they're like friends of friends of al-qaeda like that's like the it's a very loose affiliation they're not taking like so is the cia right yeah there's no like because they're trying to treat al-qaeda as like this army with like a a, a deliberate command structure they're not but they know that so that's my question is like what are we really doing in somalia well i mean it's not really fighting al-shabaab yeah i mean that's just like i think a smokescreen for uh maintaining the u.s military presence in africa and to you know along with like other countries particularly the united states and the french especially the french the French have a pretty prominent military presence in Africa, especially uh, West Africa, in countries like Mali. Um, you know, like they're like they're they're doing like what the Europeans have always did, which is essentially to uh, uh, make sure that they maintain the neo-colonial structure in Africa to essentially control the flow of resources from Africa to the Western world, essentially. So the the so yeah, like in order to maintain that flow, like just like in the Middle East when it came to, um. Uh, controlling the flow of oil and making sure like it benefits the West is similar with the U.S. military presence in Africa. I think is but uh, so so that I that's like the larger context and and um just in the interest of time, I wanted to, like kind of just just put a pin on that. But but uh, Obama greatly expanded like you know drone strikes in Somalia and and uh, Yemen, especially because Yemen and and um, <clears throat> Somalia are super close. 
And also, like, with the 2011 NATO intervention, which is mostly, like, U.S. had a lot of... The NATO intervention, I don't think, would have succeeded the way it did without U.S. help. Um, but the yeah, the French were really giddy, I remember. The French were really giddy to invade Africa. Like, that was, like, their time to <laughs> replay Empire in the 21st century. They were super giddy about, like, you know... Uh, intervening and like their former let me, let me just say france is trash in the most overrated country on the planet and it sucks <laughs> and your food's not not that good and your music and art sucks and your philosophers <laughs> are full of shit france sucks and can't actually and wouldn't really be a functioning state if it wasn't constantly stealing wealth from africa pretty much no yeah i mean france really france really 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 needs africa like the british need it too but france especially needs it so the 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 drone pre- the drone presence of strikes in africa greatly expanded under obama trump is trump has maintained it and he's just leaving it behind so t- troops are withdrawing but drone strikes will, will stay behind and these counter-terrorism 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 raids and strikes are mostly carried out by special operations forces and also like there's there's a growing number of like private military contractors who do that stuff oh nice yeah so love to see it yeah so this is like american war but like we're just going to use more mercenaries more drones and more secret shit so right right so you don't so you don't have to deal with the pictures of the coffins of the flags on them exactly don't like that Right. uh, And so here's the quote from Mr. Obama in his new memoir. This is I if you go on at Sankara hours on our Twitter page, I actually retweeted the thread from um, Assad Rahim Khan because he uh, he quoted it from Obama's memoir and and shared it. And I I thought this quote, you'll see why I shared it. And because there's something just really going (laughs) about it. This is what Obama said about drone strikes in his new memoir. And think think memoirs are like you're just rec- you're just recalling your life like you know I used to Yeah, be- yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I guess he wants his own yacht, start up his own yacht operation, so that's why he's writing this book. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. He's got plenty of money. Yeah. But- yeah, so this is, you know, memoirs like yeah, this is a chance for, you know, him to be very very self-indulgent. So he here it is. He said, They were dangerous, these young men. I wanted somehow to save them, send them to school, give them a trade, drain them of hate. And oh yet, my god. <laughs> and yet the world they were a part of, and the machinery I commanded, more often had me killing them instead. Are that there, is... That is real. So that is these. like the most... He's really he re- shit. He, yeah. What <laughs> horse shit? What, what amazing. He really is, internalized like, the colonizer with that one. Yeah. Holy fuck. That is this is this is sociopathic. Like this, and um I want to I actually you know Assad Rahim Khan like had some good comments. I want to read what he said cuz I think he made some good points that I, I think are worth sharing. This is this is his commentary on Twitter. He said, even Pakistan's own drone enablers, Musharraf, Kayani, Zardari, a whole galaxy of columnists, made a more convincing case than this. I couldn't save them, so I slaughtered them instead. It's something a poorly written Marvel villain would say. What a damning final act. In the next tweet, he says, 
Leaving the angry young Muslim trope aside, Nabila Rahman's grandmother wasn't dangerous when she was picking vegetables. The Tasi family's wedding in Yemen wasn't filled with hate, and the innocent children Obama revenge bomb and uh, Dada Kel weren't weren't his to save. So I I think like I yeah I like what he said, so I wanted to share that. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's just it, I mean that that quote is I I. I I I know I began this ev- episode being really pissed about uh, our government's response to COVID, but this quote. There are, well, it just shows you how deep the rot is. This I is mean, this this is just I. This mother, is mother, this is sociopathic. This is the mind of a sociopath. Yeah. It is, it? and and you have to be a sociopath to be president on right. some level. Yeah, but I feel like Obama. He was able to put up like such a convincing front up until that point, you know, uh, to get to get to be president and then be president for eight years. I mean, he really had all the liberals fooled. You know, he had me fooled for a little while. I can at least say, you know, I was 18 at the time. Yeah. But like, uh, yeah, the wheel, it's just the wheels are the paint starting to fall off on it. Like, yes, it's really quite gross. Just the amount of shit that he signed off on, just like the where the world was, and basically the amount of nothing he did to involve any sort of course correction, while going on and on about how smart he was and how much he understood all the problems. But like, just yeah, this TED Talk shit is just the idea. Like, like you can imagine, like, because he, like, he approves all the shit. He proved all the shit on a conference call, Terror Tuesdays, right? Yeah, you'd be like, "Well, uh, what's his GPA? Two point nine? Oh, oh, sorry, 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 Muhammad, you you gotta go. Uh, what about this one? Oh, three point five. What? What? He wasn't in school this week. Well, all right, you gotta go too. That means he was with Al Qaeda. What were you doing out of school? Huh? Yeah, yeah. I I, I I try I tried to save him. I tried yeah. to save him, but uh, yeah. You know, you know, he's just born born with hatred. You know, nothing I'm, you can do about it. Th- and there is just something that like is really deeply offensive about how Obama is used as like an avid, like a, a symbol of black representation. And this is what he does. Like not like he, like he's just just expanded the machinery of the imperial death machine, and he institutionalizes it in a way that like is so gamified that. It convinced a lot of liberals that uh, his killing is more sophisticated than Bush's. Like he, like, because I think that like Obama's game, like he is so full of shit, but he is so good at selling his bullshit story to people that so many people are believing it. Yeah. And I, I kind of, I'm like, part of me is just like, wow, I'm just aghast, and like, I, I don't know, like, it's amazing, like how he's able to spin this stuff and like that quote just like wow like you really tried to make yourself seem like a good person while you're just you know you have the power of life and death in your hands with no accountability and you're just like assuming this level of i'm this good person but i just i had to kill him because it was uh, it's just like that is the, the, like the level of just you no, you you have to, to you have to bomb the funeral cuz that's how you know th- like, who cares about the people you just bought? And the level of narcissism and the lack yeah. of, like, just morality and any sense of humanity that, that it takes for someone like him to justify that 
in his memoir because i i would part of me hope that like he would express some regret about like maybe mistakes he made with the drone program like there's part of me that like okay maybe in his memoir he would have some time to reflect and be like especially with somebody like trump enough because this is the thing this is really why i wanted to mention this because as someone who's been to Guantanamo years ago, and like I've been reporting on this stuff for a long time, like I remember during the Obama years, one of the, the things I often encountered is like arguing with a lot of liberals of all races about Obama's legacy, that about like how like how dangerous this targeted killing program is, like for the whole world, especially for people in black and brown countries globally from somalia to afghanistan and, and elsewhere right and like why why this is such just from a from a political perspective and a human level like the the cost of this and why it's so hideous and i always not always but like i often had like a lot of pushback from people because people were so enamored and in love with obama and who he was that they couldn't see the damage of this kind of program. And I remember like, you know, people like um, Jeremy Scahill and Glenn Greenwald made this cr critique during the time, which is that like, if Obama was a Republican or if this were a Republican president, a lot of these liberals would be critical, but now they're not because it's Obama and he's a Democrat yeah. and there's partisan loyalty, which uh, that's definitely true. But um, what, what I, the thing is, is that even under Trump, who a lot of liberals are saying he's like the most evil president, like, you know, Putin puppet, da, da 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 I didn't hear much of a peep from those people when it came to Trump expanding the drone pro program and even assassinating Qasem Soleimani, the Iranian yeah, general. Which, yeah, which, yeah, let me, let me weigh in on that a little bit. Cause yes, yes. I remember, I remember, um, <laughs> you know, way back when 2020 was just an infant little baby and, uh, <laughs> I remember the first couple of days, I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, new year, new you, like, uh, I mean, I know it's only a matter of time before same bullshit happens, but then wake up January 3rd, I was like, they did what? Mm. Like that, like in a, no like that is the kind of thing in most situations that starts a war. You cannot yeah. just go around be killing, assassinating, like, uh you know, top commanders of countries of 80 million people. Right. Like, you can't just do that. But, you know, I was waiting, like, uh, you know, there. I mean, in Iran, I don't know. I don't know what's going on over there. But, uh, um, you know, basically, they got away with it. And mm -hmm. that and now that's a press precedent. And it's yeah. just like, oh, we can do it again. And, and they did do it again with like a different mm -hmm. Iranian intelligence commander. Yeah. And, and that that precedent, the, the reason why Trump was able to do that was because of Obama. Like, yeah. you, you can trace it back to the, 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 the machinery and the policies that Obama institutionalized and, with a drone program. And like very few people made that connection that the reason why Trump was able to do that was because Obama gave him the keys to do it. And I also think something that's really quite chilling about the drone program is that, you know, in the typical, uh, in the typical kind of like commander in chief mentality, like the president's not just like ordering people to die every week, you know, that's not like, like you get, you know, 
he gets his little briefings and basically the CIA or the or JSOC, whoever tells him what they're going to do. And he says, OK, you know, or before JSOC existed, like like that, like, yeah, OK, yeah. Every every American president is a mass murderer, but most of them were perfectly content to, like, spend all day on the golf course and let someone else do the murdering. But yeah. Obama wanted he wanted it like mm-hmm. he wanted the personal touch. He wanted to like he wanted the kill. He wanted to kill him himself as much as he could. And that's the thing that like I find really chilling. It's like it's just he's very he's actually a very joyless person. And I think this will try and segue this into the other quote. Yes. From that interview that he does about this book, um, because it's just he's like and he did this every Tuesday, you yeah. know, he it, probably he probably it, fucked the shit out of Michelle afterwards, but, uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, every Tuesday he like got on a conference call and which poor Yemeni teenager was he going to kill this week? Uh, so keeping that in mind, um, I, I do you have something to say? Uh, before I transition, just two quick points and then, then we can transition. There's a good book about the history of America's undeclared wars is called shadow warfare, the history of America's undeclared wars. And it gets into the, it gets into the history of like America's assassination policy is written by Larry Hancock. Um, I interviewed him a couple of years ago for a story, but that book is really good. And it gets to what Peter's talking about, how normally with, especially during a cold war, when presidents engaged in assassination, it wasn't them pulling the trigger. They would just outsource it to, the CIA or some CIA proxy to pull the trigger, but it was there was there was definitely like a a nod and a wink in terms of like giving the order to like kill kill someone, but it was rarely the president who pulled the trigger. But with the the this program like under Bush and Obama, it's the president it's the president of the United States doing it, which is just yeah even more chilling. And um uh I'll, I'll mention like I mean since I was talking about like you know obama being like this black representation of empire uh i'll mention like a positive story um just because like we've been sent so freaking dark and then and then we'll go into the next quote which we'll get back into our you know doomy attitude but i remember uh right around that time um yeah i was like <laughs> pre-covid in 2020 like when 2020 was just coming in and we thought like yeah i wonder what 2020 is gonna be like oh little did we know <laughs> Um, I was at a, <clears throat> I was at an open mic in San Francisco, and I did West African drumming, and there was um, uh, a young Iranian woman who did a spoken word poem, and she was talking about how the assassination of Soleimani, the impact it had on the Iranian community, and like how it was like, basically like kind of ginning up like. Uh, you know like yeah it was like a deep offense of like you're just gonna go into our country and just assassinate like a top general with no freaking like there is that and then also like you know like a rehash of like the the sort of immediate post 9-11 fear of muslims and iranians and arabs um and she had like had a really it was, it was right after it was over i went up to her i was like yo that was you know, like, I gave her props, like, I, I thought the poem was dope, like, it was dope that she, you know, I just want to give respect to her for speaking her truth and just express solidarity, and we were talking, she's like, I loved your African drumming, that was so amazing, I wanted to dance, and we are talking, and there was something she said that really struck me that I thought was pretty beautiful, and she said, 
she said, you know what, like, during the time of the, when Suleimani was, was killed, like, she said, I felt so much solidarity from the black community on Twitter, because there are so many black people on Twitter who are criticizing how stupid that, that, uh, that, uh, <laughs> yeah, that fucking assassination, because I, I do remember that, there are yeah. a lot of, black Twitter was on fire, like, there's a lot of, like, fucking jokes about like i'm not fighting for this shit right yeah there was a lot of that like and and she said um that she she felt a real sense of genuine solidarity that like it made her feel safe so i wanted i I really wanted to share that i i forgot her name i don't know if she's you know if you're listening to the podcast like what's up uh (laughs) but yeah i i no i thought of it i thought it was like that was a really like yeah, I think a pretty cool, you know, beautiful moment in expression of solidarity, despite like how you know fucked up things can be. But anyway, back to back to the fucked up shit. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, keeping in mind sort of the actual, I guess, uh, you know, feeling am- amongst the black community, and also keeping in mind just how much of a, you know, completely joyless, uh, lifeless uh, husk of a person that only worships power that Barack Obama is. Yeah. Um, let us delve into, um, Obama's very, was very concerned. And he says, uh, yes. And it's talking about populism, I guess. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not reading the rest of this interview with <laughs> Jeffrey Goldberg, but this was the important quote. It is this indication of parts of popular culture that I've missed. It's interesting. People are writing about the fact that, Trump increased his support among black men and the occasional rapper who supported Trump. I have to remind myself that if you listen to rap music, it's all about the bling, the women, the money. A lot of rap videos are using the same measures of what it means to be successful as Donald Trump is. Everything is gold plated. That insinuates itself and seeps into the culture. And I was like, what? Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a lot. Uh, I, we got to hold Adam back. Cause <laughs> yeah, um, um, I'm going to hold my... You, you talk. Let me just... Yeah, there's there's a, there's a lot. First of all, that... And we've discussed the bullshit talking point about, you know, the uh, the danger of uh, the black male Trump voter, which is just honestly, you know, no, not that I have any love for any, you know, one who votes for Trump, but the specter of the black male Trump supporter is niggerization yes. in the 21st century. That's the first, but the fact that, like, Obama has to bring this shit up, that is, once again, completely divorced from reality, as though there's no, like, significant increase of support among black men for Donald Trump, but that he has to bring it up, and then he has to blame rap music, um, is just, and then that he says, you know, rap music's all about the bling, the money, the women, and it's just like, dude, how fucking divorced are you from, like, where the actual culture is on anything? Yeah. And, like, do you and, even listen to music? I know, yeah. And so, like, yeah, the whole talking point, and just to reiterate, and just, just on, like, a the, the kind of correct the record sort of thing. So people are drawing from exit polls that were taken after the election and it showed that like there were 18 percent of uh black men who supported trump meanwhile 80 percent of black men supported biden which is the highest percentage out of any group of men so the 
in any category, 80% is like the vast majority and a freaking win. And so, like, you can find like 18% of people who believe like va- vaccines give you autism or something like that. I think, that there, I think there's some stat where like there's like 18% of people believe vaccines believe, vaccines cause autism or like any kind of crazy belief. But when you have that number attached, like any kind of like crazy belief, people use, usually don't take it seriously. Like, there's, I think there's like a higher percentage of people. I have to double check this. There's like a higher percentage of people who believe the earth is flat, but nobody really takes them seriously. So it's like, you can find any percentage of like 20, 18, 30% of people who believe any kind of like weird, wacky beliefs. But like, oh, Adam, the earth is flat. How do, how, how are you still swallowing uh, fucking big globe propaganda? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, I thought this was a woke podcast. Jesus. Uh, hold on. Let me find that. Like, do people... Um, oh, oh, actually, here's like, here's actually some data I just found, I just found, uh, only, so, here, here it is, um, so, 66% of millennials firmly believe the earth is round, so that, so that means the rest, like, are questioning it, which is like around 33% of people, like, a third of people are not convinced that the earth is round. All right. (laughs) <laughs> uh, maybe people are right to say bad things about our generation. No, <laughs> but I'm sure. A, I'm sure that other third is just fucking with the uh, with the right. It, that's the thing is that like, look, you can find eighteen. Like, my point is that like that eighteen percent of black men, and then there's like another poll by um, NPR, and the the their count was um uh the the percentage they got for black men voting for Trump was lower and. Some people believe that one because the exit polls didn't take into account the massive numbers of uh, of mail-in ballots. So some people have said that like the NPR one is more reliable, and that that one says twelve percent of black men voted for Trump, while eighty-seven percent of black men voted for Biden. And you know, black women who supported Biden uh, is in a ninety percent. And look, like this is just normal. Like women in general tend to be like have more liberal beliefs than men polling wise like uh, yeah also it, like it like this doesn't matter it doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter right it doesn't matter and like, i i want to just prove why it doesn't matter because it's fucking I, yeah but but because yeah. it's like the thing is is like obama's using that to justify this kind of belief and this is, uh, this is why i wanted well, like yeah yes because like like eight like 12 percent 18 percent of black men voted for trump is statistically it's insig- not, yeah it's insignificant it's, it's insignificant in terms of what it was versus 2016 right but he's bringing it up because he has to have some reason to scold black men because mm-hmm. i guess pull up your pants right is not it, a, is not a thing anymore because this is Cause everyone's thing. wearing skinny jeans right yeah like no one's really wearing baggy jeans it's all like skinny jeans and also like um even with the percent of black men who support trump you're gonna find any kind of crazy reasons that people like there's black men who are just firmly conservative and they're voted republican so there's that and i think like half of them have voted for trump and then there's black men with like you know we're sort of like swing voter non-ideologically committed sort of opinions and a lot of a lot of them just hate biden for legitimate reasons so they're like, oh, well, I'm going to go for Trump because who knows? Like, maybe they like the stimulus check, whatever weird reason, or they're uh, like, yeah, it's, it's, uh, people have like, weird... yeah, it doesn't matter. Right. It does. It does not matter. It does. It's not a thing. It's not a phenomenon. 
Ever, but everyone wants to talk about it because they, they're the, uh, the gruel is getting thin. The gruel of anti-blackness is getting thinner and thinner. Yeah. So they're trying to, you know, add fillers to sp- keep, you know, cause that is the, uh, oh, I'm mixing metaphors, but you know, that's the juice the system runs on. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta have this scary black man in, you know, the minds of the white liberal imagination. Yes. So. Yes. He, so. He says, you know, he blames rap music like he always does. There's a few things that bug me about this. One, uh, you've been saying he's been saying the same thing while he also tries to like pretend he likes Jay Z, which I you don't like. As you know, what our belief on this podcast is that Obama doesn't listen to any music. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. he he gets no joy out of life. Yeah, and so you know, but he pretends to listen to Jay Z, and it's like rap like the idea that like oh rap has some sort of hold on the black youth of america it's Ugh. like no this is this is this <laughs> is, is just pop music now right it this ra- hip hop is the hegemonic form of popular music so to set to make some sort of point about rap music that is like using all the fucking you know tropes of videos in the early 2000s it's just like update your fucking talking points, but also, like, if you have a problem with it, call up your fucking homies at uh, Warner Music Group. Like, wh- like, where did where does this shit come from? Right, it comes from the top down. These people are following orders. They're told every all all, all those images like are designed by multi billion dollar multinational companies. Right, so. You could call them if you had a problem with what they were putting out, but you don't. You're just trying to find an excuse to blame uh, young working class and poor black men for the situations they're in. Yeah, and also, um, like, his talking point, in addition to that, it reminds me of, like, that Chris Rock joke, niggas versus black people. Remember, like, you know that joke? Yeah. Like, it was, like, basically, like, there's black people and there's niggas and black people hate niggas. It was, it was a joke. And like, there are black people in the late nineties who laughed at it. But then like, I think I read some interviewer somewhere that like Chris Rock actually kind of regretted the joke because it just further perpetuated. I, I know, I know Obama loves that joke and it's probably said he hates niggers too. Based. Yeah. This is Obama's rendition of that Chris Rock joke. Like he's the quote unquote black person. And these black men are niggas like there's always been like that like a way to kind of differentiate certain groups of black people as like here's one group of black people who are acceptable to a certain group of white people and then the rest of the black people who are poor is like oh they're just trash like they're thugs yeah Yeah, they're stupid social death right it's like yeah this is the afropessimism it is the total negation of like anything in white civilized society right yeah exactly and so like there's no there's the reason why i kind of walk through like the actual data and potential like reasons for why black men um voted for trump and how they vote the way they do is because like if you're gonna look at any kind of data for any group of people like when people talk about like white men or white people voting for trump they always give like some nuanced complex reason as to why white people vote for trump like they never they very rarely resort to stereotypes like this fucking cartoonish that are like damn near close to the fucking menstrual era 
Like th- like these kinds of stereotypes that he's saying about black men are like very similar to Bill Cosby's 2005 pound cake speech and very similar to Chris Rock's niggas versus black people uh, joke. Yeah. Like that's basically and- it. And so people pe- like and people for some reason, because I think what's, what's been going on is people expect this unyielding loyalty from black people, all groups of black people to the Democrats. And if there's like any smidge of like a hair of a percent like by the way like there is a poll like the the data that they used in that interview was like they said uh there is a two percent increase of of, of black men voting for trump from 2016 to 2020 and two percent is when what's in the within normally within the margin of error so it's like that's not that's not even worth looking at but they're so obsessed with that two percent because they think they're convinced that black people owe them this undying allegiance and if there's any smidge of a deviation from that allegiance to the party then it's like oh we're gonna give out like the most um cartoonish stereotypes to justify that voting behavior because they want to keep black people in line like that's really what it is and yeah, and yeah, yeah. this democrats is democrats are the slaveholder party like, right let's exactly be clear. let's be clear about this and this is like no love to black men who support trump like i'm i have no real affection for them but my point is that like i'm i, I don't like it when people use like that specific uh, group of black men to as like a wedge issue to 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 well, basically they ran, they corral ran, they ran corral black people into this undying allegiance to this party that does not give a fuck about us so th- black people i'm of the i'm of the firm opinion that like black people owe no allegiance to any party and we're better off not voting for any party like that would be my response and i would tell it even to like black men who were like oh yeah like uh i hate biden but like i'm gonna uh, vote for trump to own the libs i would tell him like look like don't vote for any of them like there's there's no there's no use of voting for trump i would that's the thing is like if you actually talk to them as like other black men as humans this is the thing like there's no like looking at like voting behavior of why they would do it from like huh maybe there's like some sort of like human reasoning going on that explains this vote behavior that they normally would do for any other group of people like they would normally especially wow. for white people they would always find like some sort of rationalization for white people voting for trump but when it comes to black men because still in people's imagination they're still like in the fucking 80s their view of black men and so when it comes to that little hair of black men voting for trump their immediate re- their immediate justification to explain it is the most fucking cartoonish stereotypes from like the 80s and it's no yeah, better than I, bill cosby or chris rock yeah i mean i mean it, i bet if you actually surveyed those dudes who did vote for trump they're all like fucking respectability politics yeah you know petty bourgeois motherfuckers they're not they're yeah. not the they're not you know gang banging or whatever the no, fuck it is no they're not I, yeah, and right. and i wanna i wanna i just i want to like d- just zero in on you know this this continuation of basically you know yeah this respectability politics and this like you know self-flagellation that um i mean brock was doing this throughout his entire administration before ferguson during ferguson after ferguson like all the shit about cousin pookie and all this stuff and mm-hmm. it's actually i mean it's amazing how many black people just like went along with it when it's like no he's like disrespecting 
like our entire existence. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just by, through like the cheapest of all stereotypes. And it's just like, oh, rap music's all about the bitches and the and the jewelry. And it's like, yeah, because that's uh, that's how you sell music in a capitalist industry. Right. That's that's always been it's always been this escapist male adolescent fantasy. That's what rock music is. That's oh, what yeah. jazz music was mm-hmm. before that. That's what hip hop is to some degree, to the degree to which it becomes hyper commercialized and this kind of uh, and it becomes hegemonic. Like, yeah, that's what they used to sell it because selling music is actually kind of hard. Right. Um, and, and also on top of that, like if we're going to get into like the commercialization of, of music in general, like also like the hyper sexualization of women and that, uh, you know, often t- often dovetails right into misogyny and patriarchy like that is basically like a, a that's a way it's become a way to sell music it, across all genres like it's in rock music, some aspects of country music. Has let me put my love into you. Well, country then got yeah they got on the train because yeah. they were trying to compete in with rock and hip hop yeah so this like like the, the 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 sort of like the the kind of like you know toxic male and often like very like kind of adolescent form of masculinity combined with like the hyper ex hyper sexualized exploitation of women like that's pretty much like a commer- like that's an industry standard. Yeah, but it's across. also it's also like people like you know write all all these fucking dissert- dissertations about why they're why video girls exist and it's like they're just like yeah, you know, you got a bunch of money and you don't it's you know, you're just going to hire a bunch of women to show up at your video and not wear anything. It's not that complicated. Right, it's right. It's not it's yeah. not but it's not but they have to do it to, because there has to be this sort of, you know, like all that can't just be, you know, this commercial part of it. No, it has to be representative of some deeper sickness. And like the thing that bothers me is that like there is like a lot of fucked up stuff that goes on in the rap game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like there were because like there's still she- I mean, people are like I've, more rappers are dying and they're dying younger than ever. Yeah. And it's really quite disturbing but what's more disturbing to me that these are all kids who like have record contracts with major labels yeah and like like king von like yeah he had a deal with atlantic and these major labels are multinational multi-billion dollar companies you know these are the conglomerates and they're not protecting their investment quote unquote like they like on some level it gets reinforced and people were talking about this at the time i mean that's kind of you should check out the movie c before i mean back when chris rock actually had good things to say <laughs> uh because it's a good kind of breakdown of like the uh the theatrics behind you know that form of of rap music but it's like like yeah it's it's getting worse and it's get you know kids are dying at a younger age and that's like not a thing that anyone that like none of these people care about they're not like actually investigating why this is happening it's just assumed that it happens because oh you know that's how they are um as opposed to like understanding the actual dynamics of like the dirty business of capitalism about the way in which like black death becomes spectacleized and Mm -hmm. you know that like certain genres of music feed into that 
and that that is kind of the point. And I swear to God, I mean, this might sound a little tinfoil hatty, but I would bet a lot of money that there was some board meeting, you know, and I don't know for who, but where they basically like, it's like, ah, this guy's not selling. Well, um, let's, you know, well, he'd sell more if he's dead. So, uh, like, yeah, no, uh, well, you know. Yeah, and to get even more tinfoil hatty, like, on top of that, like, modern, like, yeah, rap music today, like, the whole bling thing is so 2005. Like, yeah, 20... it's, called, it's called Drip, Barack. Right. It's it's so, like, his references, his whole reference, his references to rap music, like, are so outdated. Like They were outdated by the time he became president. Right, and, like, you know, now rap is, like... Oh, I have a lot of money and women and drugs, but I'm sad. Like that's that's it's and and it's not even just black kids. It's a lot of white kids were yeah. rapping about that shit. So, you know, yeah. So there's that. Like he he's just so, which is why like yeah, it. I think he just doesn't listen to music at all. Like he's just no. he, he's just like he's a joyless person, and he you know his music is totally focused group. He has no like real you know aesthetic taste like he's just you know i don't know like a sort of conveyor belt of like different music with no taste i don't know like and on top of that like the tinfoil hattie part um peter you and i were talking about this before we recorded and um because we did an episode a while ago on uh uh the 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 life and career and legacy of tupac of the rapper tupac shakur and uh you know i was saying that um the whole era of um, gangster rap, I think, just needs to be reevaluated in 2020, um, because I think. Okay, let me let me let me sort of backtrack and then I'll go to to to, to contextualize. Right. What, yeah, should, and then we should probably wrap it up. Yeah, uh, yeah. Although, like, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't care how long this goes. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh like there's always been like with black culture and especially african-american culture because you know african-americans were were in the united states and we're in like the belly of the beast right like you know against our will but we're just here right so and america has like this you know along with you know military and economic hegemony there's also um cultural hegemony in terms of controlling uh uh the distribution of culture on a worldwide scale like that's the united states has that power right so oftentimes like american pop culture almost becomes like uh has a major major like influence on on world pop culture that's not to say like american pop culture is superior it's just like that's just the nature of like the the distribution and economic power of the united states um it's not a good thing but it's just it is what it is and so like african-americans like we're in the united states because our ancestors were brought here so oftentimes like you know we create our culture in our own communities in the united states but white america has always had its gaze on black culture and black culture in the united states have always has always had this kind of um mystique and an edge to it that becomes the definition of what's cool and what's hip in the United States. So basically, like black people, because of our position here and our culture, like we wind up becoming 
um, the arbiters of what's cool and what's hip in the United States, and then that reverberates around the world, right? So, well, like when the things that people like about American culture, oftentimes, more often than not, come from Black people in the United States, like fashion, especially when it comes to music, lingo, those sorts of things. It it, it comes from Black people in the United States, and so, um, and it's a weird position because, like, if you're a Black person living here in the United States you know where the culture originates because it's of your community and there's a difference between that and how it gets represented to the outside world outside of your community and especially when it when it becomes a global commercial product that people who are outside of the world but who are not of your community they're consuming and they have a gaze on it as well like it's a weird like i remember like when i even when I went to Britain studying overseas, like studying abroad, like like there, I just noticed like there are certain cultural references to black culture and black into like black radicalism that like I knew were part of my own culture, but like the British are having a gaze on it. Like it was really weird. Like, wait, I know where this <laughs> comes from and I know what the real thing is, but how the fuck is our British people having a gaze on that like when they're not physically even here in the community that i that i know where it comes from but there's something like very like i mean it's not to say like you know people can't appreciate and learn but like it's, it's a weird kind of like what the fuck like it's a weird sort of mind fuck if you're someone who's really of that community and you know like what the real thing is and how it's determined like like who defines like what the what the culture is and how we define it among ourselves and so, like, especially when it comes to our music, like, there's all like blues always had that mystique and that edge that white people saw with blues music. It was the same with jazz. It was definitely the same, like, in seventies funk. Like, yeah, Parliament yeah. Funkadelic concerts were all like white lawyers in the audience. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then like the swing era jazz music in like the twenties, like during the Prohibition era, like white people were going into jazz, like underground, like jazz shows because it was illegal for like whites and blacks to intermingle at that time and like there was a lot of booze and alcohol was outlawed so like jazz became associated with like a level of like yeah edge and kind of counterculture in a way um yeah and i mean jazz clubs were a dangerous place i always find it funny when people like are like oh oh, a club got shut up shot up or whatever (laughs) Like, you know, who are these feelings? Like, that happened all the time in the 30s. Like, yeah. jazz music was the, like, trap music of the oh, time. Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, it was. It, it really was. It was a trap music of the time. Was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and so now, like, hip-hop has become, it's, it's become, like, the new form of black culture and the black experience with, like, a new form of, like, edge and hipness that other people who are outside of the black community are having a gaze on and consuming and a lot of times like people who are not black like like i don't want to overgeneralize but like oftentimes i've noticed that like they want in on that mystique it's the same with like okay i'll compare it to like japanese culture there's like when people who are not japanese have like this weird sort of like mysticism about like samurai and japanese culture and like it becomes so over the top that even Japanese people are like, yo, this guy's like fucking weird. Like, why are you so like obsessed with what the what the hell? It's weird. So it's it's similar like with with, with black culture and people who are not black who are like having this 
observing black culture from like this weird sort of like gaze and this mystique. And so, okay, the, the reason why I say that and how it ties to hip hop and gangster rap, like gangster rap, like actually originally did come from a very wow. specific experience of black life, yeah. but then it became this kind of commercialized thing that people yeah, want but, to copy and mimic. Yeah. Well, yes. Like, you know, on the, on the straight out of Compton, Ice Cube was like writing from his own direct experiences, but then by, uh, Ephil Vorzak, Vorzak, uh, Niggas for Life, the second album, like that was all cartoon shit. Right. And so it was, it happened very quickly. I mean, it's not, and there's always been like elements of, uh, of, you know, people who are like in that life and, you know, they started rapping to get out of it, yeah. which is, which is not the same. And those aren't the people that like are getting killed. Th- these are kids who are, you know, basically they're not really in gangs or they're not really about that life, but they are pretending or they have to act like it so that they can, you know, get record contracts. Exactly. And that, and at that point, it is something that is directly enabled by multi-billion dollar corporations that are white owned. Yeah. Uh, and so when you're, whenever people talk about the problems with hip hop or whatever, or any of that, like, it's like point, like figure out who, you know, who's actually responsible for this shit. It's not just, uh, you know, the undifferentiated masses of the collective black unconscious or whatever. Like, it's like, the, like there are material structural forces for why you know certain shit gets elevated why takashi 69 had a career jesus christ yeah um and and you know why because because like yeah most people don't want to die like they're like they're trying to get money like yeah fair enough like yes it's fucking capitalism idiot fucking barack fuck you like i that's the thing that makes me so sick is like he's like oh what you know you you know, did as much neoliberal goon shit as you possibly could. Just let Silicon Valley do whatever they want. Um, and then you're like, oh, why is everyone all, all about getting money now? Why is everyone all about getting money now? Uh, right, sorry, right. my Obama impression's been all over the place today. <laughs> but it's like, you, like, you're fucking responsible for this shit, dude. Piss off. Like, yeah, it's just like... And, and also, like, the the... I think, like, there is a period, and the reason why I mentioned Tupac is like there was a period in in the history of rap music where there was like the conscious rap, and it was very politicized. It was definitely right around the time of like the L.A. riots, especially, and rap music was reflecting that reality. And there is definitely a movement in, in hip hop to um, uh, uh, embrace a sense of like black pride and like using hip-hop as a form of counterculture for you know like black liberation which also ties into like again like the early genesis of hip-hop with um the rappers and last poets i mean they they were um they they were you know a lot of their politics were formed after the assassination of malcolm x um they were around in the 70s and they were you know that was during the height of the black power era and then in the late 80s to early 90s and right around the time of the la riots like there was like that flashpoint of like a very quick flashpoint of like black sort of militancy and it was going on at the same time as like the war on drugs the crime bill the um the crack cocaine epidemic 
and and the explosion of the the prison system and like there is a movement in hip hip hop to act as a counterculture to address those ills in yeah. black, in black yeah, America. Yeah, the only counter programming right. from the extreme racism of the Reagan era. And, you know, I mean, I'll say I don't think all hip-hop has to be conscious. I mean, I, yeah, I, love, yeah. some, I love some ignorant music. Um, right. Like, I mean, this but, is the, hip-hop um, is an art form. It can reflect all yeah, complexities of black life. But the, the sort of where my tinfoil hat is coming on is that I, there is definitely a push in the record industry to promote a very um, commercialized and caricatured form of black urban life via gangster rap to tame the militancy that was in rap music at that time. And there are people I do like there are people like who were of that era who are like Gen X types who are hip hop heads who said the same thing. There is also an interview with um why is intelligent I'll, I'll find I'll, what i'll do is i'll find the clip and i'll put it in the show notes so that people can listen because he he explained it that like like there was definitely a conscious push from like white owned record labels to p- push out like any sense of um real genuine militancy from black people especially from black people in the very environments that gangster rap are talking about and this is what i'm getting with the complexities of black life is that you know there are like pockets of black america that are constantly created by redlining and segregation where like urban ghettos and poverty and working class black america that exists and there are deep deep socioeconomic problems and then you have rap music that emerges to reflect that reality because this is that's just the daily reality of black people in those environments but at the same time there can also emerge from those very same environments a a sense of like black consciousness that has a, a militant spirit but at the same time knows the struggles of that life but it, you can't package that in some sort of like um mtv cribs package that everybody was and that, that's what i'm saying is that like you know someone who grew up in part of the bay area that other people would call ghetto would which i would just say like it's post-industrial environment my point is that like when people observe black life and even like the hood and the struggle and the game they're really what they're observing is like a very very commercialized version that doesn't reflect the re- the complexities and real humanity of the people who actually grow up and live there and who have to deal with those struggles and you know i'm I'm with you peter that like it is sad to see like there are young kids who are fucking dying and even in the early era of gangster rap like there were rappers who i think from their perspective they thought that they can get a career in rap music talking about their struggles because people wanted to hear it and they could find a way out of their environment and out of poverty and live like some better life. But I think like the, at the end of the day, like I really think that those artists got screwed over by the record industry. And I don't think the record industry like has fully admitted like that they really did take advantage of them and, you know, white owned record labels. And, they don't like to and do that. Still are. I and mean, they still are. Yeah. Cause here, here's the last thing I'll say. And then we yeah. probably should wrap up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of like the hard 
you know, the more hardcore street edge stuff. I mean, a lot of it is actually um, like pretty independent uh, and had to, and most of the, most of hip hop had to be built up independently because uh, major labels wouldn't take the risk initially until they saw exactly how much money it could be making. But the people who built that up, it's like uh, they had an interest in keeping their stars alive. Right. And, and we're at the point now where, you know, everyone like believes that they can do it. And, you know, some some of them can. But there's, you know, there's just new people. All it takes, you know, is people to get on social media with, you know, post some guns and then post a you know, some sort of mediocre track and, you know, they end up with a record contract and a whole set of expectations, you know, and, and like, you like, like, you know, the music industry itself, it always tries to act like it's reformed, but I mean, it still does the same shit it's been doing, you know, basically since they started, literally started selling records and like, it just, it, yeah, it just makes, like it turns it from like a com- even like black art being turned into a commodity to just like the spectacle. And that's like, you know, I mean, yeah, the, the only way anyone hears about any of these rappers is when they're is when they die. I mean, yeah. There's a, and, there, and there's and there's plenty of because there's also plenty of, you know, local rappers who are also just like, uh, you know, black in America. And like, you know, I mean, George Floyd you know, had some verses. And so it's not like rap makes, it's not like the rap game is a thing that right. most people are involved in who like make hip hop music or who, you know, rap and record it like that. Like that is a thing that is like entirely driven by the industry itself. Yeah. Right. And it, you're only like a part of it. If you are like signed and have to, you know, have to fulfill all those obligations and stuff. And, you know, there's, there's enough layers uh removed such that it isn't like yeah some white guy in a suit is like all right then you need to beef with oh oh dog money on uh Ugh, yeah and then get into a drive-by on you know like they don't they don't have to do that but they're you know it's they they got layers they and but they know what the product they're looking for and it's a product and so yeah that's the thing is like like but that's capitalism that's white supremacy and those are the forces that like lead to lead to these social problems, you know, and these problems. And, you know, someone like Obama should know better. And like if it's a thing that actually concerns him, then he should, uh, you know, use his power to actually investigate it. Like act- like Obama Barack is someone who has enough power that like if he actually like saw it as a concern that like these young rappers like like the amount of rappers that are dying now like that Mm -hmm. that like that was actually concerned but he doesn't like on some level he believes that you know they probably deserved it that's like they chose that life or whatever i mean that's and that's how a lot of people react to it they don't actually stop and think like these are kids you know who fought who are just following a dream you know they're arts you know they're creative types you know they're doing the thing that you told them to do, which is follow their dreams. Um, yeah. But yeah. they're doing it in a particularly uh, precarious environment. And, you know, instead of supporting that, it's always like, right. oh, well, you, you know, that's what you get. 
Uh, so that's that's that was that was why I wanted to talk about that quote. It really, just you know, set me off because it's like you don't give a shit about Black America, Brock. Yeah, you really don't. Like you don't at all. Go back to your fucking yacht with all the fucking uh, you know women. Well, they don't have age of consent laws in international waters, so I guess he's not doing anything illegal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, parody, allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly, um, but you know, come on, like he that man looked way too fucking comfortable when he gave his little dumbass speech at the DNC. I saw that shit. You that that looks like a man who has been, uh, you know, metaphorically sucking all the adrenochrome he can get his hands on. So, um, that's yeah. all I gotta say about that. Yeah, I'll give my final thoughts and wrap up because yeah this is up this episode's long enough but we covered enough ground uh, yeah it, i mean especially as a musician i i really like i i really care deeply about black culture where it comes from and there is such a thing as like a black reality and i i you know i i i just kind of like get annoyed when our culture gets so watered down and commercialized for other people to consume. And then it makes them think that like, they know like the black struggle. And it was like, you look, I know you like the music and you know, our radical traditions, all that. But like, if you're not black, you're not black. Like there's such a thing as a black reality. Like you have to be black to get it. Like it's, it, there's something about being black that I think is a, a little, is, is deeper than skin color. You know, because like, sometimes, like, yeah, with black with skin color, like, I mean, I'm, like, I, when I think of blackness is is deep in the skin color, it's like a culture, it's a way of life, it's, there's a reality to it, and the culture we make reflects that reality, and a lot of the, you know, uh, complexities of it, but there's still a reality, it's like, there's a black reality, but like, it's kind of a mosaic, and all those like pieces of black culture make up this larger mosaic, which is like the black experience and black culture and black life and black reality. And to me, like that mosaic is there's something really, really beautiful about it. And as a musician, it's something I want to hang on to and protect and make sure that beautiful mosaic survives for thousands of years. But it's very hard to have it survive for thousands of years when you're in a very parasitic economy that is constantly sucking the fuck out of your culture and leeching on it it for this own benefit and sucking it dry and it's at the expense of the people who created that mosaic and it's there's just something that just really just to my core, and it's, I I really can't put it into words, but I, I'm just gonna try to just verbalize as best as I can. It just really just just bothers me, just on a on a very deep level. It just really really fucking bothers me. So I had a similar reaction as Peter to that quote, because it's like, yeah, you really don't give a fuck about black people and where that music comes from, and to i mean yeah like the the way he was talking about rap music was so hackneyed and irrelevant and like look even the the, the there are definitely cartoonish and 
commercialized and problematic elements of rap music that like yeah like you know that exists but then there are other elements of rap music that push against it like you know that's what i mean about black life is that there's complexities to it like you know at least allow us the space to be complex on our own terms and struggle with our own con- our own contradictions by us to just leave us the fuck alone and let us deal with it without this gaze from white corporate America because all it's really meant to do is suck the life out of it and then sometimes even with other people and even black people consume the culture sometimes they internalize those anti-black stereotypes and Barack Obama is definitely one of them and honestly there are some pundits the things they say about black people in mainstream media they also internalize anti-black stereotypes and perpetuate them because they themselves are very disconnected from black people and deep down don't fully love like they have their own motives in their own lives and you know i i I take my position as a journalist and musician seriously to at least like try to set that boundary of of respect and yeah if, if if obama has like these you know critiques of the you know the thug life in the game and rap music you know you're in a position to alleviate the conditions that gave right get gave rise to that stuff in the first place you know like these are a lot of times like these are kids who like the early era of gangster rap like a lot of those rappers again like they thought like they could use rap music to get a career and you know make money and live a better life and honestly like you know if you listen to some of those their interviews like you know they have like some of them question like the decisions that like they they have some complex opinions about like you know the past Mm -hmm. and the things they did and so like again there's room for complexity because people are human black people are human even black men who do gangster rap are also human and are not these cheap 90s era bill cosby-esque stereotypes that people think that they are and yeah that's just incredibly disrespectful um not only is obama responsible for bombing lots of people he's also responsible for not giving a fuck about black people and allowing the material conditions of black america to further deteriorate and someone like him to say that to somebody like jeffrey goldberg yeah he has a lot of fucking gall to say that and honestly you know to put a pin on this episode like i don't think history should look kind on barack obama no no i i really don't and you know people who probably listen to this who are like liberals who have this rosy view of obama like you're just gonna like nah you're Or, or even or even the like i have some criticisms but they're like cindy flaw beauty moles where it's like the cindy sorry cindy crawford beauty moles it's right. like the flaw just makes it more perfect and it's like nah dude he just like he's a fucking ghoul who wanted he wanted to be president and he you know was yeah. common enough to do it but like what did he leave in his wake you know he he saw you know all this shit coming i mean to the degree like no one has more access to like the information about like what the direction the world is going than the president but Mm-hmm. He wasn't gonna. He wasn't gonna risk anything to do any of that, uh, and that's why he's the perfect representation of the neoliberal era. Yep. So I can go piss off back to any fucking yacht he wants to, and please don't ever do any more interviews. No more press. 
No movies. Don't tell me who getting it. Um, if it ain't about TDE, I don't want to hear that shit. <laughs> Unfortunately, his former bi- vice president is our president-elect. Oh, so God. So that's a... Uh... Well, I, if Biden starts to do that pull-up-your-pants shit, it's going to be on site. So Yeah. <laughs> Metaphorically. Uh, I mean, they not that they would ever... On site, yeah, on site is metaphorical. Yeah, yeah. Just you know, we we don't want like people to misconstrue what we're saying. Yeah, let's just say that we don't want to get any <laughs> legal troubles or anything like that. Because uh, this is a black radical podcast. Because yeah, look, we got to shout out to whatever NSA, per, whatever feds listening to this. We see you. We appreciate you. You are valid. Also, um, I saw someone tweet that like. Uh, about diversity in the CIA, and it just made me want to blush. Uh, so, all right, all right, all right. Let's pack this in before we get any further. <laughs> anyway, uh, that actually felt good. I had a lot of stuff to say and get off my chest. <laughs> I feel a lot better, honestly. Uh, anyway, yeah, that concludes this episode. Um, if you like this episode and you want, you know, we, our our episodes are very similar to this. Uh, follow us at Sonkar Hours on Twitter. Support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash hours. Again, patreon.com slash hours. $5 a month, you get double the episodes, bonus content, bonus interviews, readings, stuff like that. Um, one of the readings we did was on Walter Rodney's How Europe Underdeveloped Africa. So, you know, if you're into that, if you're into Walter Rodney, honestly, like I've been reading Walter Rodney for the All African People's Revolutionary Party and, yo, Rodney's becoming like uh one of my <laughs> one of my faves like yeah. I, I i he's like i love the dude anyway God's um, here. yeah so we talk about stuff like that stuff on we talk about that stuff on our bonus episodes five dollars a month patreon.com slash real song car hours make sure you support the rest of the resistance to our crew drop squad alfrogen all of y'all you know rest of the rest of the resistance to our crowd Love y'all. Please support independent black media. They're doing some. Do- the rest of the crew is doing some dope shit. Um, I I hope to get on uh, Twitch streaming. We do that as well. Be on the lookout for that. But anyway, let's sign out. Keep the faith. Stay dangerous. Peace. Word. Got up this morning, things weren't working right I said I want to make a change, I said I want to fight Obama walked up and said yes we can I said I want to ride your nuts cause I think you're the man Now I'm big riding Obama, Obama Riding for today, dick riding for the straight, dick riding for the gay, dick riding for America, dick riding for a rock. It's okay to ride that dick, just as long as it's Barack's and now we're dick riding.